um, open our ears, open our eyes, and especially open our heart. Father, you alone are the one that can reach into the puso and really place in us what we need. Lord, we can't create it ourselves. Even the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart. He wasn't trying to do it on his own. He was looking for you to do it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're asking you to create in our heart areas that will be open for growth, that will learn, that will be affirmed, that will be convicted. Let your word have its perfect work in our heart today. And Lord, as we close this morning in just a bit, let us understand what a precious time we're going to have as we do something that, in my view, any good church leader should always be doing, and that is remembering your sacrifice and honoring you. So, Holy Spirit of God, we give ourselves to you just now. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you know the context. Moses, and again, there's been criticism. Should have Moses should Moses have sent out spies? I have a problem with criticism on that because just, just because you're following the Lord doesn't mean you commit intellectual suicide. And I think it's, it's very wise. In fact, we're going to talk about this point in a second, okay, about counting the cost. But you need to understand that a good leader has to evaluate what the situation is. So he sends out 12 spies. The problem is what they do when they come back. But first, let's get this. Numbers 13.6 from the tribe of Judah, Caleb. Okay? Caleb, the son of Jephthah. Now, I'm just giving you real quickly, he was one of the guys picked. Now let's see what happens now. Numbers 13.17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Lebo Hamath. When they had gone up into the Negev, they, they came to Hebron where Ahanan, I'm sorry, Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eskol, because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. Okay? So they went up and they started to spy out the land. Now notice this, though. This is important. They all agree the land is good. But remember, and I talked about this last week with Hezekiah, talk is cheap. Okay? 
That's a principle you need to get. Okay? Um, not trying to start political debate here, okay? So let's not get into that. But here's a point I'm trying to make. Leaders say something, but they don't back it up. Okay? So when we look at our government officials nowadays, understand that's a principle that's, that's really there that exposes the weak leadership we have. Okay? Now, I grew up, I'm older than most of you in this room, not all of you, but most of you, and I grew up in a time when, man, when you walked around anywhere in the world with American passport, you were liked. And they respected this country. Okay? And that is just not the way it is anymore. And one of the key reasons that is, I happen to believe also there's a big spiritual reason, but I'm talking about without God, put God out of the picture real quick, in the world's eyes, because a lot of the world doesn't believe in God, one of the big issues is they don't respect us because our leaders are not men of their word. They say one thing and they do another. Talk is cheap. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Listen, this is good land. And this is its fruit. Now, now we get a problem coming. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalekite is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Now here's what I want you to do. As we get ready to go through this over the next few minutes, I want you to think about where you are in your life with God right now. Okay? You've heard the old term, there's giants in the land, and I understand that. But I want you to take this. If you put this strictly as a history lesson of what happened when Israel did not go into the land, you're going to miss a great opportunity in your life. Because right now, there are things that God wants to do in your life, whether you know it or not. Now, if you know it, you need to really be very conscious as we go through this. But if you don't know, if you say, well, Nate, I really don't know where the Lord is with me on this right now. That's cool. I have no problem with that. Here's what I'm saying. Start to prepare the soil of what God's going to do. Because somewhere down the road here, God is going to open up a new opportunity for you. He's going to do something in your life. God never allows his children to grow stagnant. So as we follow him, there's always going to be new challenges. And there are some tremendous lessons that we can learn in this section. And one of the problems is this. We're real quick to see what it could be, okay, because all of us like good things. But we're even quicker to see what's blocking what could be, okay? So you've got this thrust of potential, and you're, you're moving towards it, but these right here, not my glasses, these eyes, these eyes get in our way, 
Okay? I was just writing. I'm doing devos. I do blogs, and I do daily devos, and I put them on the Internet. And I'm working through Judges right now. And I've been having a real fun time talking about Gideon. Because Gideon is addressed by the angel of the Lord, which is, by the way, that's Jesus Christ in pre-incarnation, before he became flesh. He was known as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord appears before Gideon and says, O valiant warrior. Now, again, a lot of people chew that up because they say, well, he wasn't valiant. He was, he was doing his grain. He was sifting his grain in a wine press where there's no wind. But, folks, that's not bad. I think Gideon was pretty smart because the Midianites that were ruling over Gideon's people at that time, they would wait for all the harvesters to come out, and the minute they do the harvest, they'd come down and take all the fruit. So unless you hit it, you lost it. But here's the point. Whether the man was a coward or not, God saw him the way God sees. I'm sure Gideon looked in the mirror and go, Valiant warrior? But God saw him as a valiant warrior. Well, God told Moses that the land was going to be rich. It was going to be wonderful. He didn't say it'd be unpopulated. He didn't say, I'm sending you into an area of land where the biggest person is two foot five. He didn't say that. He didn't talk about the people there except that I'm going to use you to judge them. What he talked about was how great the land was. These guys come back and they give the same report. But then they say, nevertheless, what? It looks real good, Moses, or Joshua. Well, this time is Moses. looks real good, Moses, but, but. Here's one of the first things you learn about leadership. Stands firm in spite of circumstances. Okay? Some of you teenagers especially. You may get teased because you don't do what some of your friends want you to do, but I'm going to tell you this. You hold your ground, and whether you see it or not, you will earn their respect even though they'll tease you. Haven't you ever noticed how everybody wants to be individual, and yet they all end up looking the same? Well, why'd you get that tattoo? Because I wanted to be an individual. And then there's 50 guys right behind them with the same tattoo. Yeah, that's really individual. Yeah. Why'd you pierce your head? Well, because I wanted to be individual. You've got a big earring. You know, and everybody else comes walking down the street with the same earring. You know, I was alive when Easy Rider came out. I was one of I don't know how many guys that had an American flag sewn on the back of my coat. Yeah, I'm really individual. Yeah, sure you are. You went to a movie. You saw it, you know. I mean, I'm I'm thankful that the Lord didn't let my mom let me, because I really like Dr. Spock, or Mr. Spock, excuse me, from Star Trek. But she wouldn't let me bob my ears, you know. Yeah, she drew the line there, you know. She said, you want to walk around with the pants that only come down here, that's fine. See, you know, and we're funny. We do this. And it's especially hard between the years 13 to 25. It really is. But here's the thing you need to know. If you don't kick it in that time, then when you're 40, you're also going to give in. You'll take the, the wife, 
to the used wife lot and trade her in for a new one. Because everybody else is doing it. Okay? Or you'll do something under the table to get the promotion or the extra bonus. You know, I know a person that lost, after 19 years, lost an entire job for just $300. Lost everything. You've got to think this one through. You can't be looking at the circumstances and decide, what am I going to do now based on them? You need to decide, what kind of person am I first? You may have to flex a little bit in circumstances, but it shouldn't change who you are. Notice what happens here. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. There's a great story about a man named George Hatch. Now again, everybody's got to do their own thing. I'm not saying that it's... I'm not being legalistic. Okay? But... This guy in the area that he grew up in in Nebraska, he had a very strong conviction for his seven boys. He had seven boys that they need to know that we first and foremost worship the Lord over everything else. He had just mowed the hay of his property as a farmer. So he had it there, but it was not stacked and put away in the barn. There was a huge storm coming. Very unusual for this time of year. Usually you could mow this thing. You could have a couple days to get it all together and get it in the barn. But the storm was rolling in Saturday night. He put in what he could, but the majority of his hay was still on the grass. His neighbor came across and said, hey, I'll help you tomorrow morning. Put all your hay in the barn before the storm comes. And he said, I can't do it tomorrow morning. I'm going to go to church with my kids. Now, just listen carefully, because again, everybody's going to have to make a different decision. I understand that. If he'd skipped church to take care of the hay, I don't think God would have struck him dead, okay? But there was a point this guy had in his life. And I'm not going to give you the long story, but basically what happens is this. He loses his hay. He loses his hay, but every one of his seven sons make a point to say, my dad, my dad is the one that's responsible for not letting us lose our walk with God. Okay, and it was just that kind of stand. Again, the situation is not the issue here. But they just knew, my dad is going to be the one that stands firm. And that's very important for a leader. The leader also understands the cost. Now notice what Caleb goes on to say in Numbers. So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb are going, hey guys, let's go into the land. God's given us the land. The people go, hey, you know what? We don't like these guys. Let's get somebody to take us back to Egypt. Now again, let's stop for a second. What's back in Egypt? 
What's back in Egypt? Bricks. Do you remember the bricks? And slavery. You know, it is amazing how our memory can color code things to look so good that weren't all that great. Okay? I mean, most of us in our 50s were going, oh, just to be young again. Do you remember what it was like to be young? Do you remember what it was like at 14 years old and you wake up and there's one pimple on your, and you want to commit suicide because of a pimple? And hardly anyone else sees it, but you're convinced it's Mount Penetubo and, you know, you go to school and there's just this big white head on top of your shoulders walking around school all day. I mean, think about, do you remember what that was like? I don't want to go back. I mean, if I could go back with this brain, yeah. 55-year-old brain and a 15-year-old kid, uh, I'd be dangerous. i got to admit that. It wouldn't be healthy for me. Because you, you got you got to live and learn. You usually don't get to learn and live. That's not the way it is. So these guys, I don't know what they're thinking, but I want you to get this. Let's go back to Egypt. Yeah, Egypt was great. Yeah. We are the slaves of the Egyptians. But that's what they want to do. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation and the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. See, this is what I mean by count the cost. You've got to get this. This is a very significant, this isn't like me tearing my clothes right now, okay? Or my wife who did that, that strip show for you ladies with the taking off the old dress and leaving on the new one. Yeah. It's not that. This was a very strong statement of anguish to God. Okay? Jewish men didn't walk around tearing their clothes. It was a big deal. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. A leader stands firm in spite of circumstances. And and by the way, I didn't put it in here. These guys almost got stoned for this. The people picked up stones to kill them. Because see, Joshua and Caleb's the guy I'm talking about. He understood, both of them, the cost. And here's the cost. Refusing to pay now may cost more later. What did this cost these guys? Do you remember what it cost them? Every one of the men that were 20 years or older died before they got to the promised land. Not one of this generation of war, and it's clear there, men of war, not one of them got to go across the Jordan, except for two. And you know who they are, Joshua and our man Caleb. 
When you count the cost, okay, that's what a leader does, you understand that if I do not pay it now, D, how, how long has it been since we've been to a buffet? Yeah, a long time, you know. Folks, I wish I had learned when I was 20. It ain't worth it. Because when I went to buffets from the age of 15 to 38 or 40, I had to eat. Why? Because it's a good stewardship, right? You spend 12 bucks, you've got to eat as much as you can. Right? Right? Isn't that the truth? You got to. That's why I don't even go to Dad's in Manila. Forget it. Why? Because I spent that much. I got to eat. I got to eat. I got to eat. I have people. Okay. My daughter. My daughter said, "Hey, Dad, this DC. My, my wife wanted to take me to a Mongolian barbecue place. I wanted to go. My daughter came on. Said, don't go there. Why? Because you only pay once and you only get to eat one thing. I could take you one you pay and you can eat again and again. I'm going. Hey, yeah, right." Yeah, that's exactly what daddy needs. See, see, what I'm trying to get at is, if you're going to get the disciplines that you want in your life at 40, you're probably going to have to pay for them in your 20s. And if you're not willing to pay for them, then you're going to pay later. And they're usually more expensive. Okay? I mean, my brother Alan, I love my brother Alan, but he just had... A heart valve change. Okay, he's two years older than me. My brother Mark is four years older than me. He's already had a little thing with his heart. Why don't I? Alan and I are about the same weight. The main reason is, you can ask my wife, since she's known me, I've always been active in exercise. Always. I've always gone to the gym. I've always lifted weights. I've done the uh, the elliptical, I just, see, my problem is not lack of exercise, folks. My problem is lack of pushing away from the table. That's my only problem. But do you realize how deadly I'd be right now if I was not as active? See, that's why my brother Alan had a problem, because he's been very inactive. He used to surf, but then he just quit. See, and what I'm getting at is, see, if you want to stay healthy, you've got you to start now. If you want to be spiritually mature, okay, okay, don't wait till you're 50 to start reading the Bible. Start reading it now. You want to get into what a real accountability is in your life? See, here's the thing. I'm very accountable to several men right now that you all don't even know about my marriage. And that's because I started with accountability the week after I became a child of God. I was already in accountability. I know some guys, they, they still won't get an account. Why? Because they, they, they're just too used to being able to do their own thing. And I answer only to the Lord. Okay, that sounds good. But that's a bunch of nonsense. Because, listen, Bubba, when the Lord finally does decide to talk, it's not going to be fun. God would much rather a sister help a sister and a brother help a brother than him have to step in and directly have to deal with it. The leader's confident. The leader's confident. Now, notice who the confidence is on. It's dependence on God, not on self. If the Lord is pleased, this is back, we already read this section. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. 
a land which flows with milk and honey. <coughs> Another thing I've been learning as I worked my way back through Judges, and it's always fun because I took two years to preach through Judges. When I pastored in Roanoke, Virginia, we spent 104 Sundays on the 22 chapters of Judges, and it was a wonderful time. But I'm now doing it for my own journaling. And one of the things that I've gotten from Judges that's very important, okay, and it's this principle here. Now, it's, it's built on the confidence, but look. See, I wanna, I'm showing you the principle of what Caleb was doing. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Not because I'm sorry. Don't raise your hand. Did any of you all sin yesterday and you already said today, Lord, forgive me, I'm really sorry. Yeah. How about this? Lord, forgive me based on your mercy and based on your forgiveness and your grace. It isn't about you. See, and I only put two little psalms here. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Now let's go back real quick. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us and give it. Does this mean they're just going to walk in and it's just going to happen? Of course not. And, you know, I don't get that either. You know, how come you and I go into the land together and you get to live and I die? That happens. That happens. But let's remember, if we're both righteous men, I only get to go to heaven before you do. That's, that was my loss, right? No, not really. So if these guys had gone into the land, even the 12 spies, there's a good chance that some of them might have died as they went in. Now, God could have it like he did with Jericho. Nobody died. Not one Israelite. They just walked around and blew their horns and the whole thing came down. But what I'm getting at here is he's letting them know that even though we're going to be part of the work, it's you, God. It's kind of like what Pastor Insong talked about today. It's your glory, God. It's about you. Then the leader keeps the proper focus. Their protection has been removed from them. Remember, Caleb said this. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This, I started you out today with this. What areas in your life do you see that God is trying to work in? And I will guarantee you, whatever areas they are, you see the obstacles too. And most of us see the obstacles first and focus on that, and that's what paralyzes us. And that is not the way it should be. If you're going to be a leader, you keep the proper focus. What's the proper focus? Watch God, not people. If God be for us, Again, I do this all the time, and I've mentioned it to some of you here. My favorite marriage counseling chapter is John chapter 11. And I haven't seen very many counselors use it, and it bothers me why they don't. I've had far too many Christian couples come into my office and say, it's no use. Our marriage is over. Nothing can fix it. And I take them to John chapter 11, and I take them through the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And what's the point? Well, 
What kind of relationship did Martha and Mary have with Lazarus? Do you think they had good talk? Well, he's dead. Yeah, well, so they didn't have good communication, did they? Hey, Lazarus, what's happening? Was there romance or any kind of love shown in there? He's dead. Oh, you're nice and icy cold to the touch. See, and here's my point. If Jesus Christ can raise a four-day-old dead man and restore him back to relationship to his sisters, then if you tell me nothing can fix your marriage, you don't believe in Jesus of John 11. End of argument. I don't care what's gone on in the past. Now, if one of them doesn't want it to happen, then I'm not going to say it's both their faults. It's this one who won't let it happen. But if both would say, okay, even though we can't believe it can happen, we're going to let Jesus do it, it will happen. Jesus will overcome their problem. Why? Because they will keep their focus on him, not on each other. Their problem is they're focusing on each other too much, and they're bumping heads. They need to focus on Jesus and move to him. And that's like anything in your life. If God wants this or that or this, and He's put, and there's, a, there's an obstacle right here, stop looking at it when God's over here. Look at God, and either he'll take you over it, he'll take you under it, he'll take you through it. But he'll get you there because it's his call. And see, Caleb knew that. Notice what he says. Their protection has been removed. What prote- Who knows what protection? Maybe it was satanic protection, but it's gone. They're ours. We don't need to fear them. The leader has singleness of mind. God says this, But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now this is God telling Moses, I've had it with these people. You're going to go ahead and wander for a while now, and not one man of war is going to live, except for two. And one of them was our guy, Caleb. And notice what? But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully. Look at this one here. Deuteronomy 1.34. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words. And he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb. Now notice why. He shall see it, and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. Now, Right before we get to the Lord's table, I want you to see what's going on here. I gave you the whole section, but I didn't write it all down. If you turn to Joshua 14, 6 through 15, they're already in the land. But I want you to notice, this is Caleb talking. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 40, 40, these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. When Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today 
as I was then. Wow. So my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. This was actually a discussion he had with Joshua to say, okay, I've helped get the people into the land and fought with the long these guys. Can I go get that mountain that God said I could have? Now, what I mean by this, when you are a leader, and the leadership that I'm talking about is what we've just described, circumstances are not controlling you. You've been honest and mature. You've counted the cost. Okay, You're keeping your focus on God. You're single-minded about what you're doing. What do you mean? You're, you're going to do everything that God says to do. Everything. And I'm talking, now listen, that means even if you're, 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 you're uh, struggling and kicking at first. This is the other thing that I talked about Gideon in my de- devotionals that I'm doing. People judge Gideon, but in the bottom end, they shouldn't. Why? He obeyed. Sure, it took him some time. Sometimes God says, Nathan, and I move. Sometimes I say, wait, 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 wait. The real issue. Don't you remember what Jesus said? The father had two sons. Go to work in my yard today. I will not. He walks out. He feels bad. He repents and he goes to work. The other, go to work. I will. And he never does. He says, which one did the will of his father? Not the one who said it, but the one who did it. Okay? And you're talking to probably one of, you know, I probably put out a hundred words to every one of yours. I'm a pretty mouthy guy. So I know how cheap talk can be. Okay? And I get bothered that I talk so much sometimes and don't follow through. But here's what I will say. Up until this day, the bottom line, and when it finally comes at the end of the day, God knows I'm going to do what he wants me to do. It isn't always immediate, and I wish it was, because immediate obedience is real obedience. But be careful, because any, anyone who says that if you don't obey immediately, you're disobedient all the way. No, you're disobedient at that moment. You can change very quickly by just metanoia, change of direction, repenting. That boy told his father no. That was a pretty disobedient thing for a Jewish son to tell his father. No, I will not go. But in his heart, he repented and went. Make that the bottom line of your life. Not how many times you've said no. That's what Satan wants you to see. The question is, when you finally got your senses back with the Holy Spirit, did you obey? Great story about a man who lived in Rochester, New York. He's a leader. Very much in his, in his business and everything that he did. Man of the community. And there's a, a very, it's called the Janese, okay, Janese River. It's a pretty hazardous river that runs through the community of Rochester. And this guy had just gotten back from a business trip, was very excited about getting home to his wife and kids. He's walking from the train station. He sees a crowd of men on a bridge. He runs up and he says, what's going on? And they're pointing and there's a boy drowning. He's head down in the water. None of the men are going in because it's a treacherous river. This guy doesn't even hesitate. He throws his briefcase down, strips off his coat, and jumps in the water. Grabs the boy, drags him up onto the bank, flips him over, 
and it's his own son. Yeah, true story. Now just think if he just kept walking to go home to see his son. See, when you decide you're going to do what God would want you to do, it puts you in the place of blessing. It may not be as radical as saving your own son, but you may find things happen. You know, one of the reasons that we extended, just to share with you as I close, I messed up the dates of our time of vacation. I, I thought we were booked on the 16th, and it turned out we were booked on the 22nd. So we had to do some maneuvering. And part of it, it cost us two and a half days at the resort. We were supposed to have seven days. But because I was already preaching here last Sunday, and because my son and daughter had a wedding on Saturday, and Dee Dee had the women's thing on Saturday, we knew we couldn't go on Friday like we were supposed to. So we stayed through. It was a wonderful resort. But here's the cool thing that happened. Three nights in a row, Christopher and I were out in the jacuzzi late at night, and this young guy named Dave, I want you to remember that name, young man named Dave came out to the jacuzzi. He started asking us what we did. And finally on the third night, he said, look, I know you're a pastor. I just, can I ask you a couple questions? And we spent the next 45 minutes to 60 minutes talking about Jesus Christ. And finally Dave said, when did God become real for you? I mean, you want to talk about a, an easy pitch to hit out, a home run? I was able to share the entire testimony with the gospel. Now, I don't know where Dave's going to end up. But as we left, he says, you guys have answered so many questions for me. Thank you. And I got in the, the next day, I looked at my wife and I said, do you think it's possible that God let me have brain fog so that he could keep this appointment with that young man. And I do, folks. I do believe that to be. Okay? I don't believe in coincidences. We had a wonderful vacation, but we also got to meet a young man named Dave that may be in eternity with us because I blew a date. Isn't that a better way to live your life? Instead of thinking about, oh, mistakes, how about, no, you know what? God worked it all for a purpose. Caleb. What's so fun about this time right now with Caleb, okay? Caleb came from a people that had many, many traditions that were very important. Passover, things of that sort. And we actually come from that same group of people because God allowed the Messiah to also be extended to the Gentiles. The church was begun. And there's two things that Christ left for us to do as part of our honoring him. They're symbols. One is called water baptism. It doesn't really do anything for you, okay? It's not meant to clean you. It's not meant to save you. It's not meant to do anything spiritually. It is to identify you with Christ. It is to help you understand that you have given up the old and you put on the new. And I think it's a wonderful picture physically of what happened to you spiritually. The moment you came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Jesus Christ. But there's another symbol that he gave us. It's called the Lord's Table. On the last night of our Lord's life, on this side of glory, he took the time to have dinner with his 12 men. 
and he let him know how much he wanted to have this dinner with him. He said, I wanted to have this Passover, and it actually was the last Passover ever, because no more will there ever be a lamb again, because the lamb of God was slain. He took two elements that were very normal elements, bread and wine. But he said, when you partake of bread and wine in this way, they symbolize something else. Now, before I tell you what they symbolize, let me just share with you. We have a very strong conviction at CCF that communion is for everybody that's in the body of Christ. So we recommend parents, if your children are too small, don't have them partake. Okay? And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons I think it's important. I think it's important that your children learn that this is not a snack. And when you're only three, it's a snack. Okay? But the minute the child, four, five, six years old, if they know Jesus Christ personally, always let your child partake with you. It's a fun experience. But it's good to teach them, and I, I always tell my ushers at, at CCF Alabang, save some of the juice and crackers for kids that don't take afterwards. Because that's what they want. They want the juice and the crackers. We're not going to reuse them, so go ahead and let them have it but let's not have it now. The second thing is, if you're not sure you're in the family of God, make sure before you partake. Just tell the Lord that you want to be his child, that you want him to forgive your sins. You can talk to one of us after that. Thirdly, if you're a child of God, but you're out of fellowship with God. Now, what does out of fellowship mean? Does that mean I'm sinning? No. No, we're not talking about that. We all sin. What it means is that you're living with sin and you're allowing it to stay in your life. Okay, and you have no plans. You know, you got porn in your computer and you have no plans of getting rid of it. You have marijuana stashed at home and you're still planning on smoking it. Whatever. It's not talking about if we struggle with sin. It's talking about we've cultivated sin and we're keeping it in our life. Now, if you got anything like that, this is between you and God. We're going to be quiet in just a moment. All you got to do is let the Lord know, I don't want this anymore. I want to repent. Okay, let's say it's somebody that you need to forgive, but they're not here. You don't have to get, get you, you don't have to skip the Lord's table today. You could determine right here and now, I'm going to forgive them as soon as we meet. I'm going to make sure they know. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul warned the Corinthian church, the Lord's table is not to be used lightly. And if you're living in a cultivated sin atmosphere, that's not good. So let's just pause first and let the Holy Spirit search our hearts. Do you know there's anything that you shouldn't have in your life right now? Tell the Lord to take it from you. Lord Jesus took the bread, broke it, and he said, this bread represents my body. Now, what he meant by that is God's wrath had to be poured out on a human body. His wrath would never be satisfied on the body of an animal. So it was going to be a human being, but also Satan's wrath was going to be on the body, and man's wrath was going to be on that body. And that's why Christ said, this body which is given for you. Jesus Christ allowed his body to take all the abuse 
that was required as part of the penalty of sin. He took it and he broke it. And he said, every time you eat bread in this way, you honor what I did. Father, we want to thank you for the symbol of the bread. We partake now with thanks to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He also took the wine. And basically what he said was this. My father and I have a new covenant. The old covenant was also grace. Okay? It was based on grace, not works. They would see their sins on the animal. God would pour his wrath on that animal's sin of blood. But that blood would only cover the sin. Okay? It would not take it away. And that's why in the Old Testament when people died, they didn't go to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom. It's a different place. Because their sins had not been paid for yet. But they were saved by grace through faith because they believed that this animal represented what God someday would send. His Redeemer. But what Jesus said is this. This cup, which represents my blood, is the ink that is writing the new covenant. The new covenant is that if you trust in what I did on the cross and the shedding of my blood, if you trust that, then your sins will not just be covered, they'll be taken away and forgotten forever. And nothing can break this covenant because it's written in the blood of the Son of God. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, not only do you show my death, but you show my death until I come again, which he gave us that promise right there. I'm going to come back. Father, we want to thank you for the symbolism of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we partake of it right now in honor of him. We're going to close with just some silence right now. And then in song, is there a song to close us today? No? Okay. We'll just be silent. And then afterwards, we can break up into our breakout groups. I try to give you three very practical questions. Okay? To think through. Because if you deny these things, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a difficult time. I find it hard to trust the Lord sometimes. Why? It's important that I identify why. Why do I find it easier to trust the flesh? It's important that I understand why. And what do I mean when I say we need to count the cost? Okay? And don't be general. Well, that means we all need... I'm talking about you personally. What's it cost you? Father, thank you so much for this time today. We ask that as we spend some time with our breakout groups and getting to know each other a little bit better, that you might bless us as we discuss these things and allow us, Lord, to learn from each other. Thank you again so much for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.